It's the Bob McCallum Podcast brought to you by Bet Rivers. Download the Bet Rivers online casino and sportsbook app today. Well, it's coming up on that time of year. Are you ready? What, for Christmas? Yeah. You don't have oh, much to sure. get ready, do you? I'm always ready. And I yeah. got my fire going. I got the Christmas tree. Oh, do you? Sure. Yeah. yeah Are you, uh, do you have the family? Oh well, yeah, we'll, we we our our kids will come with their uh, significant others, and uh, where you know when I married uh, my wife uh, thirty four years ago, uh, I I was told that we have to have Christmas dinner Christmas Eve because that's what they do in Denmark. Oh and really? So yeah, so I basically uh, tomorrow becomes the two day Christmas. Right, two day Christmas event at our house. So it's, and I, I quite, quite frankly, now I, uh, I love Christmas dinner on Christmas Eve. So it's, uh, it's, it's kind of cool. It's great. Well, in the the divorced world, you understand that Christmas could be Christmas Eve, it could be Christmas Day, and most yeah. often it's Boxing Day because <laughs> you, uh, you get what's left over from your well, ex. Oh yeah. Well, the, the the other thing is is that you know we you know we our families both of our families uh, have were in Western Canada, um. So we've never had big Christmases. We've never really? had twenty at the table. Oh, we've I had, have. We've we've had four. We've really? had we might you know we have a we have a, an elderly gentleman across the street. We might invite him over for Christmas dinner. So oh, there might be funny. five of us. Yeah. Uh, so Christmas is a very low-key, quiet event at the Shannon headquarters. Well, not in the McCowans, historically. <laughs> well, your uh, mom, she's probably a great cook, too, so that's good. Yeah, except not not at her age, she's not cooking. We're, uh, we, we're having somebody else do the cooking and bringing it in. Beautiful. Uh, Kelly Rudy will join us. We'll find out about Christmas at the Rudy household, among other things. So stick around. Back in a minute. Well, it is uh, chilly here in uh, southern Ontario. It uh, got chilly overnight, well, this morning, really. <laughs> plus 6, plus 7 yesterday, and uh, minus 11 now, or heading in that direction. Oh, it's not minus 11 now. You're, you know what? It's <laughs> read, amazing. Read, you, read, you, read your uh, thing, iPhone. <laughs> I'll tell you what. tell you what. I, I know you're having a seniors moment when all you're doing is talking about the weather. I think that's unbelievable. <laughs> <laughs> I like well, the idea of having a Caesar in the morning, although I'm having my Tim's. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> what was the temperature there in Calgary? It's chilly. It's uh, minus 20. I just drove to Tim's, as I said, and snowing. I didn't expect the snow, but it, it's absolutely gorgeous. If you like the seasons, which I do, and, uh, you know, it's perfect for the holiday season. We've got tons of snow. It's cold. I think uh, it's going to be minus two tomorrow. So it's going to warm up nicely for the weekend. <laughs> I still remember <laughs> the first time my mom and dad came and visited me when I lived in Calgary, Kelly. Yeah. And, of course, uh, an Alberta winter is the bluest of blue skies. That's right. And you have no clue how cold it is until you open the door. So my dad, my dad's from, he's from British Columbia, grew up in Vancouver and lives in the Okanagan. And he, he looks out the front window and it's blue and it's sunny and he opens the door and oh my goodness, what right. are you doing, dad? Well, it looked pretty good out. It's not that warm, man. 
I know. Isn't that the truth? And and that's what Rick Ball says all the time. And whenever he's trying to promote the city of Calgary, <laughs> as you know, he used to live in uh, the lower mainland and he goes, it's blue sky here all the time. It's freak, freaking cold, but it's blue sky. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I know. I love it. Only a Calgarian would refer to minus 20 as chilly. How many times did you, when you were a kid in suburban Edmonton, yeah. At this time of year, school's out, you know, you're and, and the outdoor rinks down the street, and your mom and dad, it was minus 20, and your mom and dad had to drag you off, right? 100 percent Now, I do believe I was just thinking about this because we have an outdoor rink uh about two minutes from our house here in Calgary, and it's closed, of course. And uh, but I was thinking I I thought the the cutoff was minus 20 when okay. I was a kid. But having said that, that was for the outdoor rink. But we'd play ball hockey or road hockey, you know, whatever we could manage or handle, right? Yeah. And so there were many, many times all of, all of us neighborhood kids would be playing ball hockey on the street and it was far colder than minus 20. And then we'd come in and you'd have, you could only play for half an hour or something, then come in, warm up, say, okay, we'll meet back in another half hour. So it was just the constant. I just, the best memories, John, seriously, you know, thinking of uh, all those times where it was so darn cold, but you had the time of your life and it didn't slow you down at all. Are we crazy or was it colder when we were kids? Oh, much colder, Bob. You're so right. <laughs> you much guys. Yeah, get, off, get off my lawn. You know, <laughs> <laughs> so I, I remember playing ball hockey, but I remember put my skates on and skating on the driveway to play hockey. Like we'd have ice for, you know, weeks Yeah, on, on the driveway. That's what my wife was just saying yesterday. We went for a nice drive and she was saying, cause the roads were packed to snow and, and really icy. She goes, I remember as a kid, we'd skate on these streets. Oh God. And, yeah. Yeah. And, but you never sharpen your skates, right? Cause you couldn't afford it. So it didn't matter, right? You could skate on the on the street or the sidewalk or whatever, and it didn't matter because you your skates were ruined right from the get go. Yeah, what's the difference, you know? Right, didn't matter. No, you're right. So, what are the holiday uh, plans at your house? We have a great. We always have great holidays. Now, uh, as you guys know, we have three daughters and three son in laws now. Um, but so that's changing the dynamic every year. You've got to figure everybody's have has their own family plans. So uh, we usually try and go take everybody out for dinner on Christmas Eve. Uh, not everybody can make it this year. Um, and then everybody comes to our house for Christmas dinner. And then friends of ours, they have a, a little get together on uh, Boxing Day afternoon where there's a little bit of wine and some snacks and things. So we go there. So we're super busy, super excited for the holidays. And how about you guys? What well, now, hold on. Now, I got to ask, what did grandpa buy Maverick? Well, I can't share that, right? <laughs> wait, wait, wait. I didn't. Oh, listen, I'll check. I'm not sure he's a subscriber to the podcast. <laughs> Let's just say grandpa didn't buy much of anything like normal, but grandma <laughs> bought lots of things for all the, the grandchildren and the kids. And so, yeah, it, we love the holidays. It's amazing. There's nothing like, uh, in our opinion, nothing like uh, being grandparents. And it's so great to have them around and, uh, so I get home last Sunday and Donna has like jujubes and, uh, M&Ms around the house and there's a bowl of M&Ms and Maverick on Saturday was over and he wanted to scare grandpa. 
So he put like a plastic centipede in the M&Ms. And so we we shot a video on Monday when I got home. I'm pretending to have a couple of jujubes. And, and then I reach in and I ask uh, Nanny, is it okay if I have some M&Ms? So I had a couple. I go, oh, those are so good. I'm going to have a couple more. So I reach in and grab the plastic centipede. And I go, oh, and throw it away. <laughs> and then so we sent the video to, uh, to Maverick. And uh, he sent us a video back today saying, how come grandpa's scared? And it's just <laughs> the cutest stuff, right? So simple. Life is uh, so simple if you it let keeps, it. It keeps you young. Yeah, it does. Yeah. yeah, you married guys are spoiled. I remember those days. <laughs> I don't have any grandkids. What are you talking about? Did, what, what Christmas shopping have you done, Shannon? Well, I mean, you, know you what? personally. Right? I, I, I tell you, Willie, the Amazon delivery guy has been here every day, I think, so. Yeah, but that's not how much of that is you, and how much oh, is Mickey, yeah, right? That's, yeah, that's a that's a good yeah. point. I'm, I, 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 let's just put it this way: I'm a contributor. <laughs> well, we we've got eight of us at Christmas dinner uh, at my mother's house. Oh, nice! On Christmas Day, so yeah. this guy has been out Christmas shopping the last few days. Oh, good oh, for you! What a like disaster! It. You like Christmas shopping, Bob? Oh, I can't stand it. There's nothing I hate worse. <laughs> Why did I expect that answer? <laughs> oh my God, it's just it's a pain. <clears throat> you know, you have no idea. There's a million stores. Then you get you finally pick something. Then you go to the line, and there's 50 people lined up to pay <laughs> at one store. So you spend 40 minutes standing in line there. It's just a, a, a colossal waste of time and energy. Well, hold on. The guys, how quickly we have forgotten. We used to stand in line for two years for everything. Oh, good point. <laughs> we, sh we, we shouldn't take this for granted anymore. Right? You know, exactly. I was actually in a grocery store line this morning and somebody says, remember when we couldn't do this? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was great. <laughs> I loved it. Bring back COVID. Oh, yeah. oh, no thanks. <laughs> I, I'm gonna have to get married just to avoid this Christmas shopping stuff. So I may have to may have to put on an ad or something. <laughs> oh, that's funny. just find somebody who likes Christmas shopping. Bah humbug. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Look, yeah. let's get to hockey. I have uh why? Why yeah, yeah. Exactly. we're having too much fun. Right. <laughs> I have this hockey thing, and I Shannon will know this. I mentioned it a couple times on the podcast. Is this about the goalies in 82 games? No, no. Although that's a thing too. Yeah. Um, here's what I don't like about the National Hockey League and the economics right now. All right. They have a cap. I get that. Yep. And now virtually everybody spends to the cap. So when you get halfway through your season, now you need to make some changes. You've got teams, Vancouver maybe one. Who knows? Calgary may be another one. There's a bunch of teams that want to do things, that know they need to do things. They have players that not only they want to get rid of, they want to acquire. But the cap is a big, big hurdle to overcome. Yeah. And I'm wondering if there's, if there's anything we should do or the NHL should do to try and alleviate that problem. And one of the things I thought of is, Maybe you set the cap at the beginning of the year lower than what you need to, because I know this is an economic exercise. Yeah. Say $5 million below where it should be, and then you allow teams to go to the actual cap at this time of year. 
which should kind of solve the problem. In, well, in you're, ta- you're basically talking about forced savings. Hmm. Well, sort of. Yeah. What I'm saying is general managers will spend at the beginning of the year to the cap. How many teams are at the cap right now? 13. <coughs> what would you say? <coughs> 13. 25? No, thir- thir- 13. And no. then there's, but there's, but people have a little bit of, of cap yep. space. Like there's another 13 that are within two or three million. And then there's another yep. 10 that are a little lower than that. But can you, can you make a deal? Can you, how many teams can make a trade know. given the cap situation? Isn't that the stumbling block? Not many, Bob, and I think that's an interesting idea, but it's kind of like forcing, uh, since we're having a Christmas uh, discussion, it's about forcing somebody to limit their spending at Christmas. You know, you're forcing a cap on somebody uh, or a different kind of uh, spending that that they want to do. I mean, it's a great idea because it'd make it more interesting. There'd be trades, but that's just not going to happen, so... Yeah, tell you what, that idea of a salary cap at Christmas, I'm I'm actually going to enforce that next year. So. <laughs> well, we all kind of have our own budget, though, don't we? So well, I, but and and here's the thing: that Bob's idea of this hold back the five million, you know, an owner can tell his manager to do that on any team. Yes, you know? he can. but they don't. But none of them do. No, because because the owners become fans too quickly. That's right. <laughs> and owners, they they owners actually think they're closer to winning than managers do. Yeah. And 100%. so, th- and they have no patience for it. That's right. 100%. Well, as a fan who's sitting around doing nothing at this time of year and wondering about, well, will my team, will this team do something to try and get better? The chances of that happening in the NHL right now are almost non existent. Yeah. Yeah, the only you- deals that are made are those crummy deadline deals, which are all my. Yeah, but- number four pick for your number six pick kind yeah, of but, but but the re- the reason the cat the, the deadline is where it is is because it become because of one of the reasons is that you can budget for the cap and and the, the penalty the penalty of the cap isn't near as much in march as it is now so hey i, I gotta ask you kelly what one of the players here trades and we had we actually had Mark Shapiro, the the Jays yeah. president, on yesterday, nice. and I asked him. I said, you know, he says we try to treat the players well, and you know, they that's part of an aspect of a good a good team and, and a good organization. Um, but they're they're in the in tons of rumors about their three catchers. Yeah, and at this time of year, now I know we're in the in the trade freeze in the NHL. When 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 players are walking in the room. Are they looking around saying, is he the guy, you know, who, uh, who's on the bubble? Am I on the bubble? And how do the conversations go? Well, okay. So uh, I would say if you've never been traded, you're really naive to that kind of stuff. And you don't worry about it. The first time you, you've been traded, you worry about it every single day. And those conversations with your teammates happen all the time. And especially if times are a little bit tough. And then you're always, what have you heard? And uh, and they'll go, okay, here's what I'm hearing. And then you'll go, okay, well, my agent told me this and here's what, you know, might be going on. And and it, it's so much a part of the daily discussion that when you really feel it, I had a great conversation with my owner, Mr. Gund in San Jose. So we had traded, I had signed a two-year deal in San Jose after I left LA. And I'm thinking, 
I'm on the downside of my career. Not likely am I going to get traded. I, I don't think that San Jose would be interested in moving because simply there, I don't think there'd be a lot of teams interested in having me, maybe for a veteran, but who knows? Anyways, that first year we trade for Ed Belfour and, uh, and I'm Oops. all of a sudden I'm thinking, holy cow, like I'm sure why would they want two of us, two veterans, right? So uh, it's late in the season, and uh, we beat Colorado at home one nothing. Ed Belfour plays two periods. His back is all messed up, so I go in for the third period, and Mr. Gunn pulls me aside. This is the coolest thing. And uh, he pulls me aside because he must have heard that I was worried, and he goes, Kelly, don't worry. You are not going anywhere. You have my assurance that we will not trade you this year or next year. And it was just like a, whew. So it's, it, it is every day, like around now, I know there's a trade freeze, but that doesn't take away from the pressure or the thoughts of the players. And, and uh, you know, when, when is the freeze over the 27th? Something 28, like midnight of the 28th. Yeah. So, you know, you get a couple days not to worry about it, but it's back on it. You worry about it all the time. Why wouldn't you, right? It's, yeah. It's so so would, you, would you talk more with your teammates or with your wife? Oh, your wife, for sure. You're on top of that, John, as you, <laughs> as I would expect. <clears throat> and, and you may not start the conversation. She may. Like, right. here's what we're hearing. And uh, and we didn't have social media back then. I, I can't imagine how more difficult it would be. And, uh, you know, you just get on your phone and, you know, find out whatever the ridiculous rumors are on social media. Well, you know, like I'm looking at Bo Harvat. Yeah. So who's who's... Heck, I've known Bo since he was 17 years old. Really yeah. nice guy. Right. Um, genuine. And uh and when he comes out with that little release saying, Listen, I'm you know, I'm here, I'm a Canuck until and I'm not talking about it again. Yeah. But then he comes and has a little bit of a press conference after practice and he talks about the phone calls from family and how upset they are. Yeah. I mean, it had the amount that it weighs on you must be daunting. Well, that and the the phone calls from I hate to say it, the plenty of the phone calls from family there, the story is only half true, right? right? They hear certain things. And so, and then they add to it. They make up their own little version of it. I remember we had this uh, one star player. I won't mention his name, but uh, <clears throat> he was just starting off in the league. And uh, basically for one of my intermissions, I did a five minute infomercial about how great he is. Right. And then, but the very last thing I said, but here's one little thing he can work on. So of course the PR department calls us after and says, he's not coming on your show anymore. And because uh, you ripped him. And we said, did you watch it? He goes, no, but one of his family members called us and said that. And so that's my point, right? So you get all this information that's not accurate. And, and then we had the PR guy watch a segment and goes, okay, it was actually pretty good. So yeah. but those are the calls they get, you know, just ridiculous. And, but I do get it for the players. I, I get how overwhelmed they would be. I, I, I can't imagine playing in today's world with social media. Yeah. How many times were you traded? Once. And it was devastating. I felt completely, uh, uh, well, to a certain degree, I'm still mad. I mean, I was traded from New York to LA and it turned out to be the best thing in my life, but uh, I just felt as though uh, I was being, I was a loyal person to the organization and uh, and they weren't. And so I wanted then, I wanted the Islanders to lose for about 
I didn't carry that much of a grudge for about 400 years, every single game, <laughs> but I think I'm over it now, but that's... No, are you sure? <laughs> right. <laughs> Maybe not. This Christmas, I'm going to have a glass of wine and finally bury that John and Bob. <laughs> well, I'm just wondering if, if there are, there's gotta be situations where guys are happy to be traded. Oh, totally. But not many. <clears throat> I, I, I can't think of many. In my entire career, maybe four or five at the very most. Is that because of the hassle of being traded and moving and all this, all the the crap you got to go through? Yes, I mean, when I was traded, when I was, I heard the day before, but the day I was officially told, uh, I was at uh, in Bill Torrey's office at seven or seven thirty in the morning, and literally. I'm boarding a plane at 3.30 at uh, LaGuardia going to uh, Los Angeles. Like, it, it's so disruptive in your life. Um, we had one daughter and Donna was pregnant. So, I mean, it completely changes everything about your, your living, your day-to-day, -day, everything. It's just horrible. But so, so in that scenario, and you mean by then you had played – you know, in the longest game in history, that famous uh, Easter Sunday thing in, in yeah. Washington. Yeah. Um, so you were tattooed with that Islander logo. Yes. Um, born and and but at one point, did you not in in the car service to LaGuardia or on the five hour flight saying, hey, hey I'm getting to play with Wayne? Oh, of course. There's there were things that I was looking forward to. And, and it was number one was playing with Wayne. And I had known Wayne for a couple of years from the 87 Canada cup. And this was February of 89. So of course there's optimism, you know, when you look at it from the hockey perspective and LA was uh, a team on the move and our Islander team, for whatever reason, we got stuck in a bit of a rut that year, um, which was interesting because we, we were finished first the year before the Islander mm -hmm. team in the Patrick division. But that year we were off to just, uh, we just couldn't get going. Anyways, it is hard though, when you're, when you're so deflated to look forward to things and you guys both know me, I'm an optimist by nature. So it, but it was hard to get going and, uh, but it happens quickly. So I was on a plane. Uh, I landed, I think around nine 30 that night. So I missed the game. We lost to Washington that night. Then the next day we're on a five game road trip. So wow. Can you imagine that? Like, so I get traded, I land, I stay at the Sheraton at LAX for one night. Then I'm back on a, a five game road trip with the, with the Kings. And, and, and walking down the aisle of the plane, having to introduce yourself to guys. 100%. And, uh, and which that was cool. I was good with that. Uh, getting to know Robbie Fatorik, our coach and just everything. Where do you fit in? How do you fit in? Do they like me? Uh, or, you know, what are their thoughts about me? You, you know, you question everything. Why wouldn't you? You were just traded. Somebody didn't want you. Did you wind up moving to LA? Oh, of course. And we loved it. Yeah, we, we ended up that uh, summer. We ended up uh, buying a place uh, in Redondo Beach, which we loved. And that turned out, like I said, I was so disappointed and hurt to get traded, but it turned out to be the best thing in our life. And it was, you know, it turned out to be because I was 28 years old when I was traded, it turned out to be a period of the best growth of my life, biggest period of growth in my life. Uh, and it, that trade sort of forced it on me. And there are so many good things that happened. And my life 
changed dramatically. Bruce McNall was our owner and he kind of, um, how do I say this? Wayne was the, the star in the team. He was the true superstar. Of course. Yeah, of course. And But Bruce McNall had this idea that he kind of wanted to make a bunch of us uh, other guys stars. And, and whether it was real or not, it didn't matter. He was going to force that. And it was kind of cool to sort of grow into that and see a lot of my teammates in that same sort of situation. It was, it was a cool life. And John, you know, it. Uh, you, you came out there a bunch of times and yeah. you, you went out with me in Manhattan beach a few times after games. And <laughs> it was, it was, it was a cool experience living down there. I, I so, love that. I, I miss many things about uh, Southern California. So you talk, you talk about the uh, growth of that. What, what did you learn? What did you learn about yourself? I learned uh, you're not that big a. <laughs> okay, I'll I'll tell you a couple of things I learned, and my favorite is um, so I didn't know how to handle this sort of notoriety or you know being a popular player, <clears throat> and so I remember I I wasn't being as nice to the fans leaving the Great Western Forum as I should have been one night. And Donna's right with me. And uh, I think I may, may have blown off a couple of fans. Or I would have signed, but I, I probably wasn't as friendly as I used to be. So we get to the car. And before I can even put the key in the ignition, Donna looks at me and goes, that's enough of that. You're going to go back to being the good guy you used to be when I met you in Medicine Hat and how you grew up in Edmonton. And and that was a, a a beautiful thing to hear because then after that, then I was, I, I was no longer, I'm King Kelly and Hey, look at me and I'm a star and all that. It was back to being my usual humble self that I, you know, my mom and dad were great parents and they taught me about being nice to people. And I went back to that. That was the best, but the, the most important thing I learned about the game of hockey is how, how big this game can be. Now I did a thing uh, quite a few years ago, but I remember, guys, when I when I moved to L.A., there was a Great Western Forum. There was the Culver City Ice Rink. I don't know if you guys were ever there. I was. Right? Yeah. And then there's the arena in San Diego, because San Diego, you guys know, had quite a hockey history and the minors and all mm -hmm. that. Willie O'Ree played there. Anyways, there, to my knowledge, there's only three to maybe five rinks in Southern California. I did a thing a number of years ago where I was kind of researching how many rinks, and there's between 50 and 60 rinks in Southern Cal now, and many of them have multiple ice sheets. So it was really cool for all of us that were playing in LA in the 80s and early 90s to see the growth because of Wayne and and to experience it i mean that was the number one thing that a lot of us when la won their first stanley cup in 2012 a lot of us were texting and were saying isn't this amazing like we were there to witness the growth of the game because of wayne and all of us were so proud of we're so proud of the kings to win the cup but i think equally we're so proud to see the growth and and uh wayne was of course the number one guy but some of us felt we're along yeah ride and saw it uh we've got to take a break kelly rudy is uh, with us we'll come back after this mccallan and shannon with uh, kelly rudy who's uh, with us from uh, calgary my recollection of uh, of hollywood of la the kings in that era that you were there was that it was or the perception was the place was filled with celebrities yeah with the hollywood types yeah. was that true did you meet them all 
Yes, 100%. So Saturdays were uh, incredible because everybody was there. And we're talking about all the top stars uh, at the time. And uh, our dressing was full of them. Uh, it was really cool. Um, I, I just, it was just such a weird existence, though, because as we've shared many times on this, uh, I grew up in Elmwood, a little community in Edmonton. And to think that one day I'm going to be in the dressing room of the LA Kings and have all these Hollywood movie stars and, and talking to me, know who I am. And, yeah. and that was really cool. I, I remember many times after Wayne would break another NHL record, we'd go into some cool uh, restaurant in Beverly Hills after the game and and uh, share all these stories with the, the the biggest celebs in the business. And one was one was interesting because uh, Tom Hanks and his wife Rita Wilson were there, and uh, so we say hi, and it's just the four of us. So it's Tom and Rita and my wife Dawn and I. And Tom is, says something like, oh, my gosh, when you were traded from New York to L.A., their son or his son, Colin, called him and said, Rudy's coming to L.A. And there and and I'm thinking this can't be real. Tom <laughs> Hanks is actually he Tom Hanks knows who I am. And his son, Colin, is calling him about the trade. So and you had different experiences like that. It was just so wild. I, I don't know how a guy like Gretzky uh did it because you know everybody you know the celebs didn't come into the dressing room to meet me they they came in to say hi to wayne and they all knew him anyways but that was pretty cool to to witness but what, was the, what was the name of the, the club at the forum the forum club forum club forum club did you did you go in there at, at all I, I, okay so this is a fact i was probably in the forum club twice maybe three times we had to walk through it to get to our parking lot but yeah. it was, uh, I heard all the stories and it was pretty goofy and 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 different. It was uh, just jammed with a whole bunch of drunk people after the game. So it was, it was weird. Yeah. You, the other thing was, Kelly, you were sharing the arena with the Lakers. That's right. And, and. A dressing room, really. A bathroom. Yeah. But, it, but it, the fascination for me was when you look at what dressing rooms and locker rooms depending on what side of the country uh, the border you live on look like now what you guys had and what the lakers had in that old building was it was like the community rink oh totally it was the, the facilities weren't very good and our dressing right. wasn't very very nice and uh but most people would be shocked to hear that we shared the bathroom and the showers with the lakers we it was basically as a community shower and bathroom because our dressing room was say here and theirs was here and, and everything was in the middle. The bathroom was in the middle. Yeah. And, and showers. I mean, I, the first time I went into the shower, I'd never experienced anything like the shower head is nine feet tall. Right? <laughs> I'm like, what? What is this? And so, <laughs> but, 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 did, did you have anything to do with those guys? Did you? Uh, Patrick would come around every once in a while and and. Uh, talk to us as a group, which was really cool because, you know, his presence was special. I mean, when he walked into the dressing room and, and our room would go quiet and Wayne might say something about, Hey guys, just take a seat and magic wants to have a couple of words with us. And, you know, in his brilliance, he'd, he'd motivate you so much uh, just with his words. I, I just remember how kind he was. It was really mm -hmm. cool. 
what, what was it you when you went to San Jose, you signed as a free agent? Yes. Um, the difference between being traded and being a free agent, because at that point, L.A. didn't want you anymore. That's right. So how do you, how 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 is that different than the Islanders moving you? Okay, so I knew the or the uh, Kings didn't want me anymore. Sam McMaster was our manager at the time, and and he and I didn't see eye to eye. And so I want to say in February of that year, um, my contract was to expire in June of '96. Uh, we put our house on the market, like we we knew. So our house sold even before the season ended. And mm -hmm. so now it was kind of exciting to a certain degree. It's disappointing because we wanted to stay in LA, but the team had other plans. Um, and so now teams were calling it's uh, July 1st. And I remember we always used to drive out to Banff with our girls on July 1st and have Canada day uh, in the park. And it was always great. And so we're driving out to Banff and Lloyd, my lawyer's calling and saying, here, we have a couple of teams that are interested and San Jose seemed the most interested. And I want to say like a weekend or two later, San Jose flew Donna and I and our three daughters down uh, to San Jose and we were going to meet, I was going to meet with Dean Lombardi and, and Wayne Thomas, the assistant general manager. And that was cool. That was, that was the, basically I knew after meeting them uh, that Saturday and Sunday afternoon that I was going to sign there no matter what. It was just, they treated us so well. And Dean is an interesting guy. And so he goes deep into the interview. Both days, there's a two-hour interview. And the very first question Dean asked me was something like, and I won't you put in the swear words that he had in the, the, the question, but he goes, why in the world would I want to sign a 35-year-old goalie that has more interest in being a broadcaster than a goalie? And so I had to navigate my way through that one. And then the second question was, why in the world would the LA Kings trade for Grant Fuhrer when they have you? So now I'm thinking, I like this guy because these are, these are real questions. These aren't, you know, what do you want to do in three years? Or who was your favorite player growing up? Or who influenced you? These were real questions that I had to really think a lot about and give honest answers or else he wasn't buying it. Yeah. The, re uh, the, the reason I asked and, and to set the table was, you know, Jack Campbell had an opportunity to move from Toronto to Edmonton. Yeah. Uh, and we all know how fragile Jack is. And yeah. I think that's, that's being frank about it and being honest. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what were the challenges of moving locations, even though the team wanted you, but your, your head still got to be spinning. It was, and I got off to a really slow start. And, uh, and because I had all those doubts and I was wondering, how do I fit in? What do I have to do to fit in? Um, I had, I wanted to play so well, so badly to prove myself that, uh, that Dean and Wayne didn't make a mistake. And I, by the way, I also knew that my skills were starting to slide a little bit. So that was difficult to sort of get your head around it that, oh my gosh, at 35, I'm starting to, I'm starting to feel my age. Like it's not, it's not coming as naturally as possible. So anyways, Chris Terreri and I are the goaltenders. And I want to say in about game six or seven, Chris breaks his thumb. We're playing in St. Louis. We're, I think it's about a 4-3 lead with five minutes to go, and he gets a shot 
and his uh, glove hand and breaks his thumb. He ended up finishing the game, but now I'm the guy and I'm struggling. And the first game is in Toronto, Maple Leaf Gardens. We're down three, nothing after one period. And I, you guys know this feeling you go in the dressing room and all eyes are on you and the guys look scared and they're thinking, who is this Rudy guy? Like, is this the guy we signed? Like, he's lousy. So I stood up and I said something like, knock it off. You guys just play. I'll find my game. Tonight, I don't care if I give up 12 or 13. I will battle through this with you guys and we'll find our way through. Well, we ended up losing that game by a goal or something. And then I went on about a 12 or 13 game run where I was really good. I, it forced me to find myself. And, and so it was a different scenario. And I think I kind of answered your question, John, how scared you can kind of be, but if you're forced to it, forced in that situation, you find a way to dig yourself out of that ditch. I did anyways. You mentioned uh, McNall earlier in passing, and he's been a guest on several occasions on this. Uh, on well, I'm more on the radio program. Yeah. And look, we know he has a dubious past, and yeah. did some things that he should not have done. Yeah. Um, and we don't forgive him for that. But I always liked the guy. Oh, 100 percent. I, I mean, he's he's a charming. Maybe he's, maybe just charm my pants off. I don't know. Did you have much interaction with him? And did you sure. like him? I love the man. I And like you said, he, he did some things that he shouldn't have, but the way he treated us was remarkable. I, I'd never seen a, a person uh, treat athletes this way. Like he was kind to us. He, he cared about us. Um, yep. When we went uh, on strike in 92, something that I think was really, really brave of us because we knew that we, we weren't being treated fairly by the by the nhl we went on strike and i called bruce i remember calling him in his office and and i apologized but i said we're not going on strike for us the way you treat us we're going on strike for a lot of other players in the league and how they're treated by their organizations and so we had a really frank conversation about 15 minutes long and uh so that was the kind of owner that he was that we you could have a great conversation with him about a lot of different things. And uh, it was really cool. I, yeah, I miss those uh, conversations with Bruce. But you got a lot, obviously got along with the guy. 100% I did. Yeah. And when, uh, when I go to LA on occasion, I still run into him. And yeah, uh, yeah. you know, the interesting thing is that, you, you know, you were earlier on, you gave Wayne all the credit or tons of the credit for the yeah. growth and, but boy, oh boy, oh boy, you know, Bruce McNall was the architect. Oh, 100%. Bruce, Bruce was the Bruce McNall was the guy that had the vision saying, I'm going to go get Wayne Gretzky yeah. and, and, and made the phone call and did the deal. And I don't know where he found the money, but he found the money to yeah. buy Wayne and, 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 and move on and change the image of the club, change the colors of the club and, and made it a hip place to be, you know, before yeah. Wayne, before Wayne got there. Oh, totally. There's no question about it. Bruce had a plan, as you said, John, before he got Wayne. And so this plan was in motion before Gretzky was traded there. And he was trying to make going to Kings games cool. So he mm -hmm. already had a number of celebrities going to games. Um, but it was, you know, the impact was having Wayne go there. 
And it's kind of what I mentioned a few minutes ago about how Bruce made some of us stars, even though we really weren't stars. He he promoted the heck out of us. And that was so cool to see uh, his plan in motion. Uh, it was it was amazing. The other the other thing is, is that, you know, Bruce headed the search committee to find the commissioner. Yeah. And he was the guy who met with David Stern and said, I want one of your I want you. And David yeah. says, no, I'm not leaving. I, I want one of your guys. And he said, you know, and he had two guys in mind, Russ Granick or Gary Bettman, and it became Gary Bettman. Right. I know. I, you know, Bruce isn't uh, as fondly remembered as he should be. I mean, right. because of his legal uh -huh. problems, but what he did for the game of hockey was uh, astronomical. Uh, one of the, he was one of the greatest influencers in our game. Now that's sort of what I meant by the uh, by the by asking you about your relationship with him and yeah. you know how how well you knew what was going on around around the uh, the league. He was uh, what was his title, John? McDowell was the was like the, the the head of the owners. No, he would have been. I think he was the chairman of the board. Chairman, yeah. for, that's right. For yeah, that's uh, you know, or head of the executive committee. Well, but, hey, you know, he was he was, you know, in that in that realm and in that time when you're talking about uh, that strike that we were all involved in. Yeah. And it affected some of us different than it affected others. Um, you know, Bruce was, you know, was was trying to modernize the National Hockey League. That's right. The NHL was a mom and pop show. It was Bill Wirtz and John Ziegler and their cronies. Yeah, that's right. Exactly. And Bill and and Bruce Bruce was trying to trying to compete with the NBA, trying to compete with Major League Baseball, trying to compete with the NFL. And Bob, to your point about what did we know behind the scenes, we knew a ton because when you're around Bruce McNall, he shared a lot. And in particular, when you're around Wayne Gretzky, he gets so much information, way more than any other player. And Wayne is willing to share that behind the scenes conversations about what's going on, what's getting traction, all these sorts of things that it was so cool. Like, I think that that group of us that went in the 94 lockout, the group of us that went on the Wayne Gretzky friendship tour <laughs> in uh, Europe, I, I think we might've been the most informed group of hockey players on the planet at that time, because as I mentioned, we're locked out and Bruce was so, or uh, Wayne was so, keyed into all the information so we'd be usually on a bus somewhere and uh, our wives would be on the trip at that point too i remember one incredible conversation wayne shared with us in stockholm and uh the info he was giving us about what's going on behind the scenes in the lockout was just incredible and uh it was scary but it was incredible and so yeah those conversations are so cool I tell you what, though, they, that that uh, that tour that you were on, Kelly, that was a pretty good team. Uh, <laughs> and uh, I think that that was the watershed moment for the lockout to end. I think yeah. that when, when when Wayne went out and recruited all you guys, he and Mike Barnett and the IMG folks did it, that that uh, tilted the lockout towards the owners pushing yeah. man, pushing the executive to get a deal done because we were making money. Because you did a good job. Yeah, that's right. Wayne, Wayne, and as you mentioned, all the people involved, uh, we're going to a number of rinks in uh, Europe and, and cities. We're making money. And uh, I don't think anybody expected that. 
So as as the three of us are sitting here and and where we are right now, looking at the weather outside and it being cold, what was it like to leave the rink in LA in January and it's 70 degrees? That was kind of nice. <laughs> well, I know it was that, but did you think about that? Oh, as you're, as you're driving you? home, you're going, wow, this is pretty good. Yeah, of course. Why wouldn't you? I mean, we kind of laugh how you get acclimated and uh, you get a little bit soft. So we would go down to Manhattan Beach for dinner, and it might be in the 50s uh, there, and you'd go, let's point out the Canadians. And we would be <laughs> bundled up in a jacket, and you'd see people in a T-shirt and jeans, you'd go, they're from Canada. Yeah, <laughs> We're cold when it's in the 50s, and they're like, isn't this great? This is awesome. Yeah. It takes about a year for you to acclimatize. I remember when I moved to Las Vegas, I was I was that guy for the first nine months or so, right? you know? <laughs> and then the next year, if it was 50 degrees, I was bundled up. I had a toucan and a winter jacket. <laughs> you guys are soft. Unbelievable. I just stopped wearing shorts walking the dog. You acclimatize pretty quickly yeah, you to to oh. where to your environment. So when okay, we're back to sharing LA stories. So one of the cool things we always knew we we're gonna move back to Canada. In fact, when we were playing in LA, we built this house in Calgary. So our plans were to eventually move back here. But since we knew that our time in LA was limited to a certain degree, uh we would have often back then our road trips would be two weeks long. Then we'd come home for two weeks. And right. we many times we had days off between games. It, it didn't seem like the schedule was as uh, difficult to, as it is today, where you only maybe get a day off in between games. So I would go to Wayne on the road. I'd say, uh, we're going to be home in two weeks. And I'm thinking on Thursday night, Donna and I would like to go to a, another great LA restaurant. Where do you recommend and he had all the places, right? So he'd go, here's a new place. You have to go there. It's it's phenomenal. If you can't get in, just call me and I'll set it up with the owner or the manager or whatever. So we had the best dining experiences you can that you can ever imagine. Places that, uh, you know, the stars used to go to, like the old stars. There's yeah, a yeah. restaurant called uh, Chason's. Oh, sure. Yeah, that's where Frank Sinatra and his group used to hang out. And and so we this is a true story. We went to Chase Sons on a Saturday one night, and Donna's mom and dad were in town. So we took them to Chase Sons and we're at the at the bar because our table wasn't quite ready. And Frank Sinatra, uh he and his wife and uh what were their buddies? Edie Gorford, uh Dean Martin, um, Steve Gourmet and her husband. Yeah. Oh, Steve Lawrence. Yes. The four of them were right there. They're literally <laughs> right beside us at the bar. And so Donna's, well, we're shell-shocked, but Donna's mom and dad from Medicine Hat, can you imagine? They're like, oh, yeah, no kidding. These were, these were their people. And so, <laughs> and they, they talked to us and it was just, it was so cool. We had experiences like that dining in LA that mm. you just, yeah, but by the by the way, nobody believed you. By the way, Bob, I I I know you don't follow anybody on Twitter, but I had to stop following Kelly on Twitter because <laughs> all he did was tweet about restaurants. Oh really? All he did was tweet or ask a question. I'm in St. Louis tonight. Is there any good Italian? Yeah. Where should I, I go? I mean, I I'm sorry. I just want Twitter for information. I'm uh, unfollowing Kelly Rudy. Yeah, it's funny. So I I have to get this uh, text because I. 
So um, to your point, John, uh, <laughs> you, you know my lawyer, my lawyer Lloyd, right? And his yes, wife, sir, Lloyd, one of the great people of all time. Yes, of he course. made you a broadcaster. That's right. Well, he helped. You kind of no, 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 no. But <laughs> I convinced Lloyd that you, you know you you didn't you weren't going to make a lot of money early. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Uh, well, whatever you offered me the first few contracts, I accepted. There's no negotiation. It was fantastic. I was brilliant. But but Carol Lloyd's wife came up to me about seven years ago because of my my tweets about what what I'm having for dinner. She said you should write a book about your your dinners on the road in the nhl cities and so i started john and bob <laughs> i know you'll laugh i know you're laughing i started taking notes of all the restaurants and i think she said you should have it called it power plates and uh oh. and, and so i for years two or three four years i i was writing down my dinner experiences on the road in nhl cities and and then the pandemic came and I've stopped now. A lot of those restaurants are no longer in existence. But uh, but uh, I just got a text yesterday yeah. from Ron McLean, and they ran into Lloyd and Carol. They're on a trip in uh, northern uh, or upstate New York right now, and just by coincidence, they ran into Lloyd and Carol, Ron wow. and Carrie, and they're talking about power plates and how I should bring this back. But I mean, well, I tell you what, just that all it means, uh, Kelly, is you just have to do more research. <laughs> <laughs> which which means more great dinners and maybe the there you go wine on the road right absolutely hey listen this has been fun but we're uh we're out of time uh you have yourself a happy christmas and holidays to you and the family and uh we'll talk to you in the new year all right you too bob and john this has been so much fun happy holidays to you guys and to everybody watching give Thanks. donna Thanks, a hug for me i sure will same to mickey and the kids john We'll talk soon. Oh, Bye-bye. I did. I did. See you guys. Kelly, Kelly Rudy. We'll be back in a minute. Uh, we are back with Colin Shannon with you. Our thanks to Kelly Rudy again for uh, for joining us. And uh, so Shannon, the Shannons are going to be four or five for Christmas. Uh, there will be eight at my table. Beautiful. For Christmas. Yeah. Kids, grandkids, mother. So... Um, it'll be a, um, it'll be an interesting day as it always is. And you know what, Bob, take next week off. I was going to say, we are going to take the week off. We yeah. basically only take one week a year off. I know. This Can is you, compared who to decided radio. This? Who decided this? I don't know. Maybe we should take more, but well, although you think you took a week off last year, didn't you? Yeah. Didn't you? We, we brought uh, Daichin, uh, to uh, yeah. pinch it for the week. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, but I used it, to I used to work thirty six weeks in radio and TV. Yeah, so I had sixteen off. This is horrible. <laughs> yeah, but, this. But, but but hold on, you don't. You, it's not as if you really work long hours in this job. Well, that's true, but I don't get paid as much as I used to get paid either. So, I think there's hold a on. balance. Hold, there. hold on, hold on. People get paid. Uh, Ixnay. <laughs> <laughs> Ixnay on the payway. I get paid. <laughs> <laughs> well, Merry Christmas, Bob. Merry Christmas to you, John. I uh, hope you and the family have a wonderful time. And we and wish that for uh, all the people watching or listening. And special thanks to our, our producer, Hugh McClarty, who does a marvelous job. He does a fantastic job. And, and happy holidays to Hugh and to everyone else. And we will see you in uh, January. 
See you next year. Goodbye, everybody.